This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's Fun Friday. My name is Jeff Sandu. There's a smell in the air today, and that smell is knowledge. That's right, MSP's Matt Amatech is back with another round of deep tech stories as he announces that science is slick. So Matt, where are we starting today? Hey Jeff, well, um, accessibility. So this is something that uh, has come out in a bunch of shows recently. Uh, the coronavirus has made us all a lot more dependent on technology to maintain, uh, maintain rather any kind of semblance of normality in our daily lives. The internet has, you know, it's become this tool for us to reach the outside world. Whereas only a few months ago, we complained that it was a tool that kind of, you know, kept us from the outside world. Um, so now there are kind of apps for everything, and that leaves us with the problem of the people who don't have access to the technology or for whom the tech simply doesn't work. Mm. We mentioned virtual touchscreens, I think. Yeah, you know, those minority report-style screens that enable you to navigate um, through a menu with your hands without actually touching the screen. And we mentioned things like uh, sonic pressure being used in those devices to create the uh, the haptics, the sensation of pressing a, a, a key or a button within that screen. A team of researchers at the University of Beirut in uh, Germany has gone a step further. They've created a haptic system based on ultrasound waves that can actually recreate Braille characters in the air for the visually impaired. Uh, the system can be used as an alternate display on uh, ATMs and all kinds of other kind of public information terminals. How does it work? Using speakers? Yeah, essentially there would be a speaker array on the ATM, for example. Uh, those speakers would be in a 16 by 16 grid. They emit ultrasonic waves and the waves converge to actually create the dots that make up the Braille characters. The user holds their hand up around 20 centimetres away from the speakers and the uh, the image from the speakers, it creates this uh, sonic image essentially of the braille character that the user can actually feel on their palm. Is it a bit like one of those air dryers? It's not so violent. So according to the researchers, it's more like a gentle breeze. Uh, they tested various models for displaying the text and most users found that the method where the characters were spelled out dot by dot was uh, the most accurate for them. But what's also interesting about this is that it's also a great way to access private or sensitive material in public places. And, you know, privacy is an issue for many of us. We worry that cameras in public spaces, uh, whether they're put there for, you know, nefarious purposes or whether they're simply, you know, benign part of the background, could be capturing our screens as we type in passwords or access financial or personal information. Now, obviously, most people are not going to go to the trouble of learning Braille, but this is one of those situations where a technology designed to level the playing field and increase accessibility for the visually impaired could also have wider applications for, say, securing our own privacy. And I believe you want to stick with sound. Yeah, uh, most of us are familiar with uh, noise-cancelling headphones. Um, now, essentially, the, the way that those noise-cancellers work is by broadcasting anti-sounds. So, for example, if you have a noisy office background, the phones limit that noise by transmitting a frequency 
that cancels out that, that background noise radiation. So where the waves of sound coming in have peaks, the anti-sound will have a trough. So the overall wave is actually smoothed out and that background noise is reduced. Now, in most instances, the range uh, of frequencies that the headphones operate on is uh, predetermined, and they're often tuned specifically for loud, loud low-level hum like uh, aircraft engines and kind of... Uh, uh, you know, traffic noise. Mm. So you wanted to tell us all about a 30-year-old technology? Well, no, I wanted to talk about its uh, evolution. So as I said, most of us are familiar with the idea of noise-cancelling headphones. But a team at the Nanyang uh, Technological University in Singapore has created a noise-cancelling system that actually works for Windows. Now, we've mentioned on the show before that noise pollution can have significant psychological impacts. Uh, often in uh, modern office blocks, that's not too much of a problem because, you know, they're climate controlled and they have super thick double or triple glazed windows. But that doesn't help people at home who may be subject to the noise of, say, traffic flyovers, trains or even aircraft passing over. Uh, so do you want to know how it works? Well, I feel the show will probably grind to a halt if I say no. Good man. Um, I like the, <laughs> the way they've done it because uh, they've used a very Southeast Asia specific model. Uh, at home, most of us have some form of window grills, right? Uh, so the mm. system consists of 24 little loudspeakers. Uh, they're around four and a half centimeters in diameter. And they're actually mounted on the window grill. Uh, so it makes the system flexible. You can actually adjust uh, the spacing of the, the speakers to match the frequencies of the sound you're trying to block. And there's also a sensor that points outwards that uh, determines the frequencies that the speakers need to, to broadcast to cancel out the noise at any given time. Uh, one of the nicest parts of the system is that it's just as effective when the windows are actually open. Mm. Adjusting for the damping of the window itself? Well, obviously, um, but because it's anti-noise, having the window open won't disrupt the efficiency of the sound blocking. Now, current tests have shown that the system is most effective at cancelling out traffic noise um, and things like overhead uh, aircraft. It isn't attenuated for higher frequencies like human voices. I'm not sure what the rationale is for that, but it might be as uh, simple as safety. Obviously, you don't want to cancel out the person shouting that the uh, building is on fire. Uh, similarly, blocking out low-end noises, you can do it, but it would require larger speakers because you have to displace uh, more air. And of course, the larger the speaker is on your window grill, the more of your view it's going to block. So when can we buy them? Well, at the moment, it's just a, a prototype, but with a bit of luck, it will be real soon. Uh, tests with the prototype have shown that it can reduce traffic noise by up to 50%. And that's, you know, really huge, especially as our cities are getting noisier and more densely packed. So the next stage is to test the prototype in uh, more kind of real world situations. And hopefully within the next year or two, we might all have a system that can give us a more peaceful night's sleep or to enjoy an evening at home without, you know, having to put the TV or music on at uh, ear splitting volume to block out the world. <laughs> you know, it's hard to believe, but we actually have more window technology. I know. How exciting is this show? <laughs> um, so I just mentioned double and uh, triple glazing. So triple glazed windows um, usually contain layers of uh, argon gas to prevent heat transfer. 
In cold climates, this prevents the heat leaking out of the, the home or the building and, of course, the cold leaking in from outside. Theoretically, the reverse is the case. Uh, they should keep the same area cool in hotter weather, though in my experience, they just turn places into these airless sweat boxes. Um, so if we're talking about argon, what are actually better gases when it comes to cooling your home? I don't know, hydrogen, oxygen? Um, bang on, uh, H2O, um, our old friend water, obviously water, not mm. a gas, but hydrogen and oxygen being gases. Uh, a team at the University of Kaiserslautern in Germany have built prototypes uh, in Hungary and Taiwan that actually sandwich water between the panes of uh, double-layered glass. Mm. Won't that just create steam? Well, yeah. I mean, that was my initial thought as well. You know, one of water's uh, key properties is its ability to absorb heat. Uh, that's why it can be used in this instance for cooling. Uh, we use heated water, obviously, for you know drinking hot drinks, uh, eating, washing. But what is really interesting about this is that the water can be kind of pumped through a system and replaced. So you're essentially using your windows and the sun to heat the water for a shower, for example, uh, or even for countries that um, that experience winter to heat the, the the radiators or your underfloor heating. So you actually get a double saving. You cut down on the energy required to cool uh, because you're not using your fans and your air conditioning. Plus, you're actually using all of that solar energy to heat your water instead of using electric immersion tanks or boilers. Mm. Okay, but won't the water distort the view? Well, again, that's what I thought. Um, the researchers claim no. They say that the water flow is slow enough that it's practically invisible. Uh, and the energy savings from the computer simulations they've done so far are pretty impressive. They calculated savings of up to 72% for buildings with traditional double glazing uh, and up to 61% for buildings that are triple glazed. There are still buts. Uh, water windows are tricky to manufacture. Obviously, they're quite fragile because it's a glass containing water and it's not certain that the technology is going to scale or end up being cost effective and the simulations they've done so far are mostly for buildings that have uh, glass facades so energy savings in homes where our, our windows tend to be much smaller may end up being a lot more modest now the inventors plan to set up a business selling uh, water-filled conservatory glass systems next year that makes a lot of sense because, you know, conservatories are usually unbearably hot in the summer. Uh, they're equally unbearably cold in the winter. Uh, actually, they're usable for about 30 minutes a day, depending on the season. So <laughs> I genuinely don't know why conservatories are so popular in Europe. So how radical is this? Um, the, the conservatory, I mean, that's pretty, uh, you know, established technology. Um, but if you mean uh, water-cooled windows, well, you know, as many countries place pressure on buildings to limit their emissions and essentially uh, trend towards carbon neutrality, this could be an important driver because you start to look at the building as more of an enclosed system. Your windows and your heating and your cooling are now part of one system instead of being three separate components. So it's interesting from uh, an architectural standpoint as well as a kind of conservation standpoint because it potentially changes the way we look at, uh, at how buildings are structured, 
and the kind of energy efficiency gains that uh, we can expect. Window technologies, where else would you expect to be except here on MSP? So stick around, we'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Bright, formidable media. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Fun Friday's MSP together with me, Jeff Sandu, and Matt Armitage from Culture Pop. Matt, there was quite a lot about different forms of energy in the first part of the show. I believe you want to talk about electricity next. I do. I want to talk about uh, electrodes. Now, usually science is slick is about the good news stories or you know, at least as close as you're ever likely to get from me. So admittedly, this next story doesn't really fit into that, you know, positive news category. Does it fit into the we all know about category? Yes, because we all know about tasers. Um, Electrical stun guns that shoot out little darts and allow the operator, hopefully somebody in law enforcement, to deliver shocks to the victim, rendering them incapacitated. They fall under the rather dubious category of less lethal weapons, which has always struck me as a little bit chilling. It's a a bit like describing people as being less murderous. So, you know, I I struggle for the contents because the context rather, because again, you know, chain guns are less lethal than atomic bombs. But anyways. Yeah, sorry, I'm digressing. Um, You know, we (laughs) all know about tasers. So now there's a, a kind of super taser called the Spectre being trialed by the US military. As usual, it seems like they've given it a cool name and worked backwards to uh, uh, to to make the kind of technology fit the acronym. It stands for Small Arms Pulsed Electronic Tetanization at Extended Range, but obviously Spectre sounds cool. Um, it's being developed for the US Department of Defense by Harkin Dynamics in Colorado. Unlike conventional electric uh, pacification weapons, this one doesn't require a wire. It can actually be shot Mm. from any traditional 12-gauge shotgun and it can hit a target uh, up to 100 metres away. All right, so at that kind of range, wouldn't the projectile itself be pretty lethal? Isn't the wire still better? Well, most tasers are only good up to about eight metres. Longer range devices have been developed and experimented with, but the longer the conducting wire, the more risk that uh, dangerous rather than debilitating shocks are going to be delivered uh, to the person who's been uh, hit with it. Uh, the, The spectre and... You know, I really hate that this thing is cool because it really shouldn't be cool. Um, It fires a smart projectile. Uh, So, yes, it could potentially kill if it hits someone outright. However, sensors in the projectile detect when it's about to impact. And it actually deploys a parachute that slows it down so that it only sort of the, the, the barbs only penetrate the outer layers of skin. And it can also be programmed to detect further movement. So, for example, if the uh, subject starts moving, it will automatically deliver additional shocks. And the operator will also be able to remotely trigger further shocks without getting any closer than that sort of 30, 40, 50 metres uh, of the person that the, they've just hit. Mm. Is this still a prototype? Well, the manufacturer is scheduled to deliver 100 rounds to the U.S. Marine Corps for further testing uh, over, well, over the next few months. Bodies like Amnesty International are asking that it be independently tested and verified as, uh, as being safe. 
Because it seems that if the tests do go well, it's also destined for police departments and law enforcement agencies in the US at a time when, of course, police brutality is very much under the spotlight. Mm. And we have more electricity. Yeah, I want to pivot from uh, bad electrodes uh, to good electrodes. So a researcher called Zeng Yan at the University of Missouri has come up with an inexpensive way to create sensors from pencil line drawings on papers. The sensors that are, are, are created, that are drawn, can then be used to detect your heart rate, your skin temperature, and even to analyse compounds in your sweat. Uh, and as well as uh, the, 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 the cheapness of it, um, it also cuts down on waste because many similar uh, medical sensors require the use of materials like copper and silicon, whereas these sensors, essentially all carbon, can of course be recycled. What's the catch here? Well, there's no catch really other than you need to have a bit of artistic talent. Uh, the sketches have to be geometric and conform to the parts of the body that are being sensed. But there's no trickery. Uh, the Missouri team used standard copy paper. They used a normal pencil and they connected them to the recording devices using a standard uh, conductive cable. Uh, the only thing that they added was an adhesive spray to help it uh, stick to the skin a bit more securely. Obviously, they wouldn't need that for me. There's uh, you know plenty of sweat with me to create that paper mache bonding. Hmm. But how does this sorcery work? Well, as uh, many listeners are probably mouthing to themselves right now, um, the graphite in the pencils is conductive. So the sketches themselves carry the information from the electrical impulses in our skin. And the research has shown that uh, in terms of um, ECG signals and the other things that they're supposed to do, they're actually comparable to the silicon and copper sensors. Mm. Does the pattern matter? Yeah, it does. Um, so most of them use um, serpentine geometric pa uh, patterns or to give them their nursery school terminology, squiggly drawings, um, because the circuit isn't then disrupted or interrupted if the uh, subject bends or stretches. Other than that, it's really about configuring them for purpose. Uh, the electrical resistance of the sensor is determined by the length and cross-sectional area of the uh, of the sketches of the traces, according to the the inventor Zen Yang. Do they have any further plans? Well, as I mentioned, you can also use the sensors to analyze sweat. So, for example, to calculate glucose levels or uric acid levels. So. That would be useful for people with uh, kidney issues, diabetes, gout, you know, those kind of conditions. I don't think the team is planning on making a fortune from this because, you know, most of us have a pencil and uh, copy paper at home. Uh, more impressively, they've experimented with using the system to harvest electricity from the humidity in the air. They hope that by doing this, they can harness that ability to make the electrodes function uh, wirelessly. So this really is my favorite kind of story because it's old existing technology that's being repurposed. It's effectively open sourced because there's no way you can patent this. Although the idea that um, a kid's drawings may one day be wireless and self-powered uh, may be something that uh, scares a lot of parents. You know, you're linking these stories pretty impressively today. Uh, the next story is about line drawings. Yeah, I'm on a bit of a, a thematic roll today. So um, we talked a while ago, I think, on, uh, on Geeks about a, a site that generated AI images on demand. 
That way, if you're a media owner, say, uh, you don't have to worry about model releases, copyrights, all of those kind of things. Uh, or, you know, whether the story you're attaching the image to um, in some way infringes on the subject's rights. So websites like Generated Photos have signed up a variety of media companies like the BBC, Fast Company and Vice. You can go and play with them and generate your own images at uh, generated.photos. Uh, they give limited uh, use licenses for free accounts, so you can mm. go and create your own fake people uh, to your heart's content at that, uh, that address. All right, but where do the line drawings come in? All right, give me a chance. That was just the setup. Um, you know, we're, we're used to sites that create virtual people from scratch. We're also getting used to the growing number of deep fake apps like um, like uh, Zap and uh, sorry, like Zao rather and Doublecat, or the ability mm. to age or switch genders thanks to the algorithms of uh, FaceApp and similar services. A team of developers at the Chinese Academy of Sciences in Beijing has found a way to reverse engineer faces from line drawings using artificial intelligence. So the team used a photo set of around uh, 17,000 celebrities. They used image processing software to render each image as a simple line drawing. So the AI was trained using sketched pairs. Yeah, obviously the original and the line drawing. So it taught itself to recreate the faces by recognizing five key components. So left eye, right eye, nose, mouth, and then filling in the rest of the face. And once it creates that framework, it then starts to fill in all the kind of photorealistic detail. Can you customize the image? Uh, currently, it's entirely automatic. So things like eye color can't be changed. And the data set, surprise, surprise, was mostly white people. Uh, so skin color and genetic diversity is still something that has to be addressed. Uh, one of the applications it can be used for is to replace police uh, sketch artists um, uh, for, for witnesses of crime. So now the witnesses can supply some really basic details and then the algorithm will get to work processing and creating potential people that the sketch may resemble. Uh, the witnesses can then select the generation with the closest likeness, um, but it could actually be used as well in things like filmmaking, uh, in video game creation, to save time, but also as an additional creative input. So if you want a big, square-jawed, bearded heroine, you can simply sketch the basics and the AI will fill in the rest for you. Can it be used for animals or objects? Uh, not yet, but that's the plan for the future. And that might be uh, even more exciting than the human stuff. Now, I can't draw. Uh, that's not false modesty. I have absolutely no sense of perspective. So I've never been able to sketch any of my ideas. This kind of tool would enable me to translate that image in my head into something real. Did you ever think that Darwin prevented you from having that ability for a reason? Uh, well, it's not all torture devices. You know, some of my ideas involve no applications of uh, physical harm whatsoever. Uh, at a basic level, you know, you can imagine it being used on e-retail stores. Uh, sometimes you know what you want, but the search term is so generic that you just get thousands of results and you still can't find what you're looking for. So if you had a picture of the thing, you wouldn't actually be searching for it in the first place because you know what it is. So a sketch might help you to narrow that search kind of more effectively and more efficiently. So I'm guessing that our final story is on AI too. 
uh, bang on. Um, I'm closing the, uh, the the circle today. So we started with fairness and accessibility, and we're going to end in a similar area as well. Now, we've talked about biased data sets in the past. Um, and in fact, the last story was a good example of a biased uh, data set. Uh, it can generate fantastic results as long as you're like me, uh, essentially devoid of any color. So the other six billion people in the world it's not so useful for them. Uh, so we've talked about um, things like, uh, like I said, historical bias. So a company that hires mostly people with blonde hair, uh, an AI is likely to recommend hiring job candidates with blonde hair because statistically the company has done better with blondes. But the flip side is that a more balanced data source is less accurate. Well, that's been the prevailing wisdom. So your data set might be fairer, but it might be less accurate or precise. So you're replacing one set of uh, error-prone information with another. However, Sangamitra Dutta, uh, a PhD candidate at uh, Carnegie Mellon University, Pennsylvania, thinks she's come up with a solution. So this is an area of maths known as information theory that I can honestly say I know absolutely nothing about. Uh, but the idea is that you use the mathematical principles to create an ideal data set that uh, an AI can then be trained on. So in the case of the blondes, you might use the uh, information in the original data set to create brown-haired candidates with similar attributes to the blondes that the company normally hires. Then the AI won't automatically weed out candidates with other hair colors, and the brown-haired candidates will actually be accurate representations of the kind of people that the company is looking for. You do know that most companies don't hire according to hair color. I do know that, but, you know, I'm just using it as a, a handy and non-controversial shortcut for, you know, race and gender and uh, disabilities. Uh, also, because, you know, the blonde kids always got picked first for everything when I was at school. So <laughs> I'm addressing my own historical bias. Uh, so Ms. Dutta has worked with uh, colleagues at IBM uh, and the system can be used to uh, ensure all kinds of data sets, not just hiring information, uh, become fairer and more balanced. It can also be used as a control to check whether existing data sets are biased and operating both accurately, accurately rather than fairly. So the research is uh, due to be presented at the International Conference on Machine Learning, uh, which is taking place actually as we record this show. So we wish Miss Dutta well and hope to see her ideas creating more balanced and representative data sets in the uh, future. Now, I know I've gone on far too long already, but before we wrap up, um, all of today's stories came from The New Scientist. So some of you might think that's just me being lazy, getting everything from a single source. So I'm mentioning that partly to give the site the credit it's due for the stories, but also uh, because, you know, the reason that we do these Science and Slick episodes is because of all the incredible breakthroughs and the ideas that we see on a day-to-day -day basis that sometimes get lost in this kind of torrent of bad and depressing news. So I got all of these stories with just a few clicks on one website. This is just skimming the surface of our ingenuity. So don't forget that, you know, yes, there is a lot going on right now, but we're still inventing and creating 
all these amazing and fantastical things. Mm, and definitely, uh, you know, the, the people behind New Scientists deserve a, a little more clicks uh, from everyone listening to the show as well, because they've been doing a fantastic job. Um, also, who would have thought, right? Because we learned about pencils, we learned about taser guns and window technology. I mean, that's... That's groundbreaking stuff. Uh, yeah, it's been a fairly varied episode. <laughs> Anyways, if you miss any parts of this uh, show, you can download a podcast available on the BFM website or the BFM app. We'll be right back with uh, Geek Squawks after this, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.